There aren't many digital ag companies that have been around as long as Scott Sexton and his team at Dairy.com. For over 20 years now, they've been digitizing the dairy supply chain, which they know better than anyone is no easy task. The producer is very focused on their function. The hauler is very focused on their function. The cooperative focuses on their function. The receiving plant and processing facility focuses on theirs. And then those in manufacturing, they're dealing with that. So it's disjointed and not by design, but it's there's no single system that's stretching and connecting all of those different pockets of stakeholders. Scott says that even though he's been at this himself for 25 years now, he still thinks we're in the very early innings of digital agriculture. I would say around 2010, 2011, right in there, you start to see folks getting very, very interested in kind of cloud supply chain management. But still, I would say it really really not taken hold as to the tidal wave of what I think is still in front of us, and that is digitization of the entire value chain because of the need for these industries to operate off of real-time data. Scott Sexton of EverAg and Dairy.com sits down with co-host Jeanette Barnard for today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the founders, farmers, innovators, and investors shaping the future of the ag industry. Today's episode is really a unique opportunity to hear from someone who's been working on what it means to digitize agricultural supply chains now for over two decades. I really can't think of anyone who would better understand the potential here for our industry, but also the challenges that lie ahead than Scott Sexton of EverAg and Dairy.com. Before we dive into that episode with Scott, though, I want to thank our sponsor for this quarter, which is Merck Animal Health Ventures. Merck Animal Health Ventures is a premier investor in animal ag tech. They invest in companies creating the next generation of animal identification and monitoring technology to advance animal health, as well as new business models to create value from animal data. Merck Animal Health Ventures partners with early-stage technology companies to successfully scale solutions for their customers, which include livestock producers, veterinarians, and pet owners. For more information, check out the Merck Animal Health Ventures website, and if you're an entrepreneur in an animal health-related industry, make sure you reach out and get in touch with them. We'll include a link for their website in the show notes. And thank you very much to Merck Animal Health Ventures for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. Okay, now back to today's episode with Scott Sexton of EverAg and Dairy.com, which is a leading provider of software, risk management, and market intelligence solutions for the dairy industry. The company was formed clear back in the year 2000 by investors that included eight of the largest dairy cooperatives, and since that time, continued to grow based off of just that initial investment and their own earnings until they brought in an outside investor just a few years ago in 2019 and started expanding into some new areas that Scott's going to talk quite a bit about with this new umbrella company called EverAg. Scott really brings some incredible content to you in today's episode, and really a big reason for that are the skills of the interviewer. No, not me, of course. I'm very pleased to bring back everyone's favorite co-host, creator of the Prime Future Weekly Newsletter, Ruminants Lead at Merck Animal Health Ventures, and my good friend, Jeanette Barnard. Jeanette, thanks so much for co-hosting another Future of Agriculture episode. 
Thanks for uh, letting me be here, Tim. And I think I might be your only other co-host. So that might be a little bit of a nuanced uh, compliment there. Well, you know, you definitely are my go-to expert for all things animal agriculture, especially when it comes to tech and innovation. So for listeners, if you're not already receiving Prime Future on a weekly basis, you need to fix that over at primefuture.substack.com. It's free and it's worth a read every single week. And if you've listened to the show for long, you probably recall some of the other episodes Jeanette has co-hosted here, and they're always super popular, so I try to get her back on whenever she's able. Jeanette, in case maybe someone listening hasn't heard any of those episodes, can you give us just a basic background on Jeanette? Absolutely. So um, background, grew up on a farm in Southeast Arizona, spent a lot of my career in the animal health industry, and then went into the startup side of the world and really trying to understand what are problems in animal agriculture where technology can play a role. So spent several years in the startup world. And then most recently, uh, about a year ago, joined the Merck Animal Health Ventures team where I am responsible for our uh, ruminants portfolio of startups. Very cool. And that's what we're going to be talking about actually today is ruminants. And I understand your connection to today's guest. Go back to your the days of your very first startup. Is that right? That's right. So the first company I started was a company called the Poultry Exchange. And I was trying to solve the problem of the lack of transparency and price discovery in poultry. And I was located in Dallas at the time. And just through a random conversation with someone, they said, hey, I know somebody who did something similar to what you're talking about, only they did it in dairy. And that someone was Scott Sexton, uh, who at the time was CEO of dairy.com. And so Scott and I actually started getting together pretty frequently. He was just a really helpful mentor during that time. And we had a lot of conversations about, you know, dairy.com really started out of this need that the dairy processors had to sell these byproducts. And so the dairy processors all invested in that company. And because the dairy processors were invested, that was how dairy.com got to liquidity. And so Scott and I had a lot of conversations about how do you replicate that outcome with a different strategy? Hmm. And on the poultry exchange side of things, you were actually essentially a marketplace where people could show up and, and have these transactions. So I would one advantage, if not the advantage, is basically, you know, I could list whatever I had to sell and buyers would just instantly be there rather than having to go chase them down on a daily basis. Is that the same thing, you know, with dairy.com? That was effectively where they started. Yes, was it was a marketplace just like that, only it was for specific dairy products um, that weren't traded in other ways. Right. All right. Well, we won't give any more away. Uh, here is Jeanette's interview with Scott Sexton of Dairy.com, which I should tell you from the outset, though, is now known as EverAg, which is the, the primary company that Dairy.com exists under. So here it is. Yeah, so Dairy.com today is part of a parent company called Everag, and Everag was uh, announced in February of this year, February 22, and it's the combination of three major pillars that cross dairy, livestock, and cropping verticals. Dairy.com was the anchor in the dairy vertical. We have a, a group that's unannounced right now, but is anchoring our software in the livestock vertical. And then in the cropping space, uh, we have a, a venture called EFC Systems that provides technology infrastructure to ag retailers that then empower and enable growers. So we've got those three pillars as well as 
a company called Everat Financial Services that surrounds all of it with risk management capabilities. We have about 475 employees. And really, our approach is empowering supply chains to feed a growing world. So we're doing that through technology and financial services and capabilities, as well as market intelligence that that helps them operate efficiently and effectively. We have offices predominantly in the U.S., but also in um, Europe, as well as uh, Canada and over in India. Excellent. So, Scott, you guys have grown at just a breakneck speed, especially over these last few years. And uh, I still have not caught up in my mind that you're not Dairy.com anymore, that you are Dairy.com as a part of Everag. So I'm going to have to update that mental model of mine uh, to keep up with your growth here. Yep. It's an exciting time. And believe it or not, I've been doing this over 25 years, and it still feels like very early innings of you know, digital transformation in agriculture. So it's like you, I think I'm trying to keep my head straight as to kind of the transformation we've been through over the last couple of years. So, okay, let's go back to the earliest of early innings. Talk to us about how did Dairy.com originally started? What was the premise? What was the thesis? What were those early days like? So uh, I'll give you the Dairy.com foundation. And then I had started a few years earlier than that. But Dairy.com itself was formed in May of 2000 by eight of the largest dairy companies in the US. And they, at the time, you think about 2000, vertical marketplaces popping up everywhere and industry incumbents wanting to make sure that they helped um, drive the digital infrastructure that would kind of be vital to their industry. So instead of a third party occupying the space, consortiums were popping up across all industries, including uh, the dairy vertical. And it was really, the vision was a digital marketplace for the trading and supply chain management of dairy commodities. And I got started into it. Actually, in 95, I started building out a food and beverage marketplace uh, on the backbone of the internet. So we, we were a number of years earlier than the mad rush. And my father was in the food business. So I grew up around food manufacturing, got into that business out of school in the early 90s. And after a few years in, I felt like the internet was going to change the transparency along the food and beverage supply chain. And that catalyzed the, the starting of the venture that was merged in with Dairy.com in December of 2000. So I, I was thrust into dairy in December of 2000, after the eight dairy companies formed the company. Okay. And what were some of the early challenges of getting that early version up and running? Surviving was one of the early challenges. <laughs> <laughs> so as I mentioned, there was a lot of gold rush going on, folks trying to figure out how do we capitalize on this new thing called the internet that's going to transform industries. So I think early on, a lot of people really were trying to launch you know, viable business models. I think a lot of people had ideas. A lot of ventures had ideas. They didn't have enough runway to get those ventures off the ground. I mentioned that I had started in 95. We were lean, mean, you know, bootstrapped. And when we converged that in December 2000 with the Dairy.com venture, you had tenured management. We had the ability to execute. Plus, we had the market liquidity of these eight large dairy companies that were the catalysts that, you know, it grew into hundreds and hundreds of companies that 
use the platform uh, all the way from you know dairy farmers through hauling cooperatives processors, stakeholders that wanted to kind of have information and risk management activities around the dairy value chain. So it grew into something much bigger, but minus the initial liquidity and commitment of the founders, it would have been very difficult to to stand up, which Jeanette, you and I have talked at length about how difficult it is to just step into a new market without liquidity. You've got to have tech and liquidity to stand these ventures up. So it's interesting. Again, you and I have had many conversations about this um, and about, you know, other protein markets. Did the dairy processors that formed this consortium that allowed you to get to liquidity, did they have a foresight that maybe those in the meat or poultry space didn't have? Or was it just better execution around this? So I think the the beauty in dairy is there's tremendous complexity, right? So you've got, you know, at the time that this was launched, let's say there were 45,000 plus dairy farms. So you have to assemble milk across a fragmented supply base. You're dealing with a perishable liquid multi-component, heavily regulated product that has to be assembled, tracked, quality has to be managed. And then you think about it, it's like it's like the oil and gas supply chain. There's a lot of refineries. So if you're, you know, a Greek yogurt company, you want the protein, but you don't want the fat. So the, the fat comes in, you know, out of the, the processing facility and needs to go to over to somebody that makes ice cream or cream cheese or butter or sour cream. So there's this this kind of ticking time clock on all of these commodity moves with specialized transportation. There is no pipeline for, you know, milk, right? Like oil and gas. But you're dealing with that same fractionation. You know, I think and, and one of maybe the differences with protein is there may be a little more, you know, concentration in, in supply. And so you have to have enough fragmentation to where buyers and sellers of this need tools to be able to manage it. We started out though more as a like a live open marketplace for balancing supply and demand. But over the years, I would say we you, you can think of us almost more as dial tone supply chain management infrastructure, right? It's just, it's the system of records shared on the internet for people to manage the life cycle of milk. And so it was um, a long way to answer your question, which is in some regards, we didn't know how perfectly suited the dairy vertical was for, for kind of a new way of doing business. Fair. Okay. That's super fair. So you've merged the two companies, you have the dairy processors behind you, you have the liquidity and the technology to get this marketplace going. What does the next phase of the company's life look like? So what was interesting is everything crashed around it, right? So there were over 2000 of these vertical marketplaces that were launched. If there were like 10 of them by you know 2005, I would have been shocked. So dairy.com was one of the few newly launched vertical marketplaces to to survive. But a lot of people scattered, right? So there wasn't a lot of attention on these marketplaces. And what happened over the, I would say the next, you know, call it 2002, 2003, up into the you know, early 2010s, you see just not much attention being paid to these ventures. It was almost like a golden era where at least at dairy.com, we just we started expanding. So we started looking and saying, hey, you know, we're doing these this plant to plant trading. What's happening with the movement of milk from, you know, from farm to plant, the assembly and delivery and logistics and paymenting and paying the haulers and managing the, the patronage and equity for these cooperatives. So we just started expanding our 
our digital footprint to say, you know, what, what happened, that, you know, five minutes before and five minutes after. And so we were just kind of chipping away at that for about a decade, all on our own, just expanding, growing. We did, we made one or two small acquisitions to just kind of give us some of the IP that we needed. You know, then we kept kind of embarking forward. I would say around 2010, 2011, right in there, you start to see folks getting very, very interested in kind of cloud supply chain management, niche vertical software that's dealing with with unique supply chains. And then that was the, you know, there was more of an awakening of, you know, investors beginning to come into the space. But still, I would say it really had really not taken hold as to the tidal wave of what I think is still in front of us. And that is digitization of the entire value chain because of the need for these industries to operate off of real-time data. Absolutely. So as you saw more investors looking into the space, how did that impact your business? Because at this time, you guys are still an independent business backed by the processors. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So when we merged the ventures together, it was a combination of individual investors and then dairy companies. The venture never recapitalized when we merged in 01. You know, December 2000, we took in a small rights offering right on the heels of that. But we grew off of our own cash flow and capital. We never took in another financing round for almost 20 years. So it was, it was quite a run just organically growing it and operating off of our own financial performance. You know, so what changed? Uh, really nothing for us. There was more interest in it and we did start to acquire, right? So we continued to build out. We added some quality management software. We, we added risk management software. We added information services that, that was um, constantly kind of keeping their ear to the ground on market intelligence and things that mattered around these commodity flows. Uh, and think of it almost like decision support, alerts, publications, forecasts. So market intel coupled with risk management that sat next to the physical flow of these commodities. That was our main focus for almost two decades. And we were laser focused on dairy because we knew that was, and there still is, it's still very early innings of full digital adoption within the the US dairy vertical. So not a whole lot changed other than we knew that there would be increasing interest in the space and ventures like ours, which you know held true all the way up until we uh, brought in an outside investor in 2019. Tell us more about that process. Yeah, so so I think you know we had really a great, needless to say, a longstanding partnership with um, you know some of the, the original dairy founders, and but I mean, you could you could see that this next phase of growth was in front of us, which has held true. You know, we're we're now five times the size we were just less than three years ago. So it's, it's, we knew that there was tremendous opportunity to build on top of the platform, but it was, we needed to get a little bit more aggressive in our growth orientation. So we identified a kind of a great partner that we felt like could come in that, that could help us scale the operation. And uh, we, as I mentioned, we had been very dairy focused, remain very dairy focused out of the dairy.com venture, but we've also added capabilities. And I would call them these key adjacencies around dairy. So you've got crops that are raised that go in and much of that becomes feed. The feed comes back into the animal operations. Dairy gives a daily harvest of milk. At the end of the life cycle of a cow, then that goes into the protein space. So there's this circular interconnectedness between cropping, 
dairy, livestock, uh, of course, other sectors. But those are the three, three of the largest and, and, and most important that we've focused on. So that was um, part of our investment thesis. And, and uh, we brought in an investor that had both the capital and the, the growth orientation to help us go execute on that. And that's, I would say that's the phase we're in now and very bullish about you know, what we've done in, in you know, three short years, as well as what the next uh, few years holds in store for us. That's awesome. That's an awesome story. So I want to go back to one of your early points that you made. Have you said that in the late 90s that you had this, this sense that the internet is going to change transparency among these food manufacturers and processors. But yet you've also said, you know, we're still in early days of digitizing supply chains uh, within dairy. So how, <laughs> how do you think about that early hypothesis you've had and how the rate of digitization has happened relative to what you would have thought 20 years ago, how it would happen? <laughs> I, I would have thought we would have been way further along. And, and actually, that's not speaking to, you know, resistance or anything of that nature. It's really more these are incredibly complicated supply chains, as you and I talked about, and not not so much in that, you know, a lot of industries are sophisticated and difficult, but the fragmentation, especially that we've seen in dairy, is just so many different silos of folks. You know, the producer is very focused on their function. The hauler is very focused on their function. The cooperative focuses on their function. The receiving plant and processing facility focuses on theirs. And then those in manufacturing, they're you know, they're dealing with that. You know, so it's disjointed and not by design, but it's there's no single system that's stretching and connecting all of those different pockets of stakeholders. And so I think, you know, yes, we've made tremendous progress. You know, we're the largest um, you know cloud provider of you know an array of solutions across that value chain. But there's still tremendous headroom in the need and the adoption rate across, you think of a driver that needs to be able to collect data on a mobile device. Why? Because that gives you real-time information around the movement of these materials. Well, that's, you know, it sounds easy on paper, but, you know, getting drivers fully trained, fully executing, doing their, their job in a digital Era that that's all really really difficult work. I mean, I, I'd say not that the tech side is easy because you know it, it, these are complicated agricultural value chains, but the, the the real work is the change management and the heavy lifting of adoption. That it, what I've seen that's that's a significant undertaking, and uh, it's not to be underestimated. And okay, so so expand on that a little bit. Around that change management, what is it that those who do it successfully, what are they doing differently maybe than those who either attempt it and it doesn't work or don't even attempt it? Yeah, so I think it would probably fall to the latter. A lot of people just are like, well, what we've done has worked. And, and as, as much as I hate to say this, sometimes it takes a compelling event. And probably the most dramatic recent compelling event, and this speaks, I mean, it's as old as I, I've been in the dairy.com venture was Y2K, right? Because, hey, what was going to happen? The computers were going to blow up. And your last, these two digits, that was going to, so everybody invested, everybody focused, everyone, there was this coming, you know, storm, so to speak, that everybody was prepared for, and it catalyzed adoption. But there's still a lot of that era software that you see embedded very broadly out in, in the agricultural industry. 
you know, so I think, you know, what's the mindset? I mean, I think it's just, you know, and it's not easy to do because I mentioned earlier that landscape of many, many stakeholders and many silos of decisions that are being made within those silos. So I think it's number one, deploying any type of digital transformation project, you need to allocate budget towards the change management piece. That's, that may be one of the biggest mistakes that I see is that we're going to invest in the technology and the software, but we're not going to invest in the business process adoption and change management and training and deployment of this software. So I'd say that that may be the biggest key is budget budgeting for the change management piece of it. Awesome insight. I think that that is the first time in like five years that I've heard anyone mention Y2K. So that's really interesting that you frame that as uh, the last compelling event for adoption of digital technology. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of aspiration towards what could the future be. And then you run into, wow, how am I going to go make that happen across a complicated space? So it doesn't mean like there's there's tremendous innovation in pockets but when you say, you know, why do I say it's still early stages? Because the entire value chain is a broad and very complex space. And so you may digitally transform in a, in a narrow sector, but how do you transform an entire value chain? And that's the seat we've been in, right? As Dairy.com and now as Everag, we sit and we look at the entire spectrum of these, these value chains and how we can help transform those end to end. And so it, it is a, it's a bigger undertaking than saying, hey, I'm going to put an IoT device on a farm that manages and monitors, you know, alarms and doors that are open, right? So there's, it's easier to be very pointed, but when you look at the whole spectrum, it's quite a significant undertaking. Yeah. Well, and I can just imagine that that's such an advantage for you guys because in a time when, you know, so many startups and so many technology companies are looking at very narrow products that in many cases really are just features, not even truly products. And they're solving one tiny sliver of a problem. And here you guys are looking at the entire system, the entire supply chain. Uh, that's just a very different view of the world. Yeah. And, and and I think on the good news front is, you know, as systems become more open and you can interconnect data and there there are more modern, you know, frameworks that help you along the way with some of this. But one of the issues that you see is that, you know, and I don't know how much you've run into, and I suspect quite a bit. I mean, there are some very, very critical legacy systems of record that are not built on modern open frameworks. And so I think it's just a recognition that, you know, there's a lot of collaboration that's needed to truly transform that you got to get started somewhere. You said, you know, some of the advice you would give is, you know, I think you've got to get in motion to stay in motion, so to speak. And then you've got to have the ability and the kind of the technical capabilities to build some of these bridges or modernize some of the core systems that, 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 that matter. And it's not easy, but I think it's very doable. I mean, on the good news front, there is a lot of digital, legacy digital infrastructure that sits underneath supply chains. It's just, okay, how do you straddle in this We've got to take it from where it's been to the future. And that's, you know, it's not easy, but that's been our focus is helping build those bridges, helping see the bigger picture and helping bring some of these, you know, steps along the value chain together under the Everag umbrella. And so over the last 20 years, working in this dairy supply chain space, 
for much of that, you were post farm gate. Obviously, now you have some presence at the farm level as well. But as you think about dairy processing as a sector, how has that sector changed over the last 20 years? What are some of the dynamics that you've seen evolve in how your customers think? Some of the biggest things we've seen is just, you know, there's consolidation, right? The bigger getting bigger. And I mean, in, in many regards, you almost have to just because, you know, you can't have the sheer number of farms that you had in the past. There's a scale of efficiency and, you know, economies of scale that have to be reached to, to remain cost competitive and, and, and viable. So you've seen that wave, right? Which I think is changing the dynamic of, and I'm speaking of dairy right now, I'm not you know, an expert in every sector, but in dairy, you see that. You also see the U.S. dairy is not nearly as vertically integrated as you see other parts of the world, that they are a co-op with farms and they also have all the processing facilities and they use every drop of milk. The U.S. is much more you know, specialized, right? So you've got maybe manufacturers only, or you've got you know those that are marketing the milk and, and you know, running a cooperative. But you are beginning to see those lines blur. Some of that is just some of the you know, recent M&A work that's brought more of the farmer processor space together. You're seeing more investment in creating dairy products that can be marketed globally, right? So you're, you're seeing more use of all the components of milk both ways, whether it's a branded company reaching back into the farming operation or a cooperative farming that's reaching more into the manufacturing world. So I think those are some of the changes. But for us, you know, we, we're agnostic to that. We don't really care. It's still, like I mentioned earlier, perishable liquids, multi-component. You've got to manage the quality. You've got to report to the government because dairy is heavily regulated, very complicated pay structure. So then you get it into a plant and you've got to be able to track those liquids and account for those liquids. So all of that is in our wheelhouse. So we're seeing a lot of those changes, but the foundation of our business uh, remains the same amidst those those changes. Okay. And based on all of those insights, you know, you've, you've obviously worked with these processors for a long time. What do you see? I mean, you've talked about the silos. So What's the one thing that dairy farmers don't necessarily understand about further downstream that would be helpful for them and vice versa? What's the one thing that maybe processors don't have as much visibility to about the world of a dairy producer that would be helpful for them? Yeah. So I think, I think on the good news front, I think this is maybe one of the bigger things that I've seen change over the last few years. And it's, there is more transparency across what used to be, hey, I'm, I'm within the farm gate or I'm, I'm outside the farm gate and I'm dealing with the milk downstream. There's enough complexity that a farmer's core focus is going to be within the farm gate. You know, there's enough of that aggregation co-op step that they're coordinating haulers. They're making sure the milk's showing up to the plant. And there's enough in the, the kind of the manufacturing step where they view it as a load of a raw material that they have to convert over. So you know, even though they're dealing with that same material, I think what's helping each of those different pockets or silos start to look across is, you know, you're probably seeing this in all the sectors, consumers wanting to know where their food comes from, how it was produced, and then the whole ESG sustainability movement of what's happening there. So, I mean, that's that's taking it all the way back into how were the crops that became feed grown and is it non-GMO? And that went into the animal. And then 
you know, now we have to track it down. And was there animal welfare there? And were the cows happy? Yeah, you know, so all of that, again, back to that circular supply chain example, I think there is an increasing awareness. And what I would want each of those participants to know is you absolutely have to work together to be able to deliver what the consumer ultimately wants. You know, they want to know where their food comes from and they, they want to know that it's not you know, negatively impacting the planet. I think there, there's a big, big movement there that is, is bringing folks together. It's not an easy task, but I, I do think that it's, I'm starting to see significant progress in that space. That's awesome. So one of the things I find really interesting about your company is the fact that there really aren't a lot of mid-size aggregators from an ag tech perspective. So how would you describe, like, what is the superpower of being your size of company? So, yeah, I think it's really, it's an interesting question because I'm looking at it less from how big we are, though. I think, you know, I think you're right. I think we're growing into one of the, the larger players in this space. But one thing we've worked really hard to do is, even when you ask a question about, hey, well, what's going on in these value chains? Like, I am not the expert in ag retailer and grower engagement software. I'm not the expert in all of the livestock space. But what we've done is we've brought talent and technology into our camp. We work really hard on our core values, our culture, empowering the founders of these businesses to stay frontline, servicing the client, because we always kind of say it's, you know, it's the right team, right technology. You do not flip servers on in the agricultural space and expect people to just flock and adopt. I mentioned earlier that change management, a trusted voice that knows the vertical, that knows how to apply these solutions, that is core to who we are. And we'll continue to scale, we'll continue to grow, but we've worked really hard. You know, Our superpower is leave the people that know the vertical in place, right? empower them and give them the resources to scale and drive end user value. And if you do that, you'll have a successful enterprise. Wow. Okay. That is a powerful message and that's a great note to end on here. So Scott, really appreciate you uh, joining us for this interview and, and sharing all of your insights from this experience of building out this company. You bet, Jeanette. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the interview and thanks for uh, spending time with me here today. All right, Jeanette, fantastic interview with Scott there. Really enjoyed hearing his story over, gosh, 22 years now of building this thing. And it sounds like they're just sort of hitting this inflection point to really accelerate their growth, which is so awesome. I would completely agree with that. And it is interesting to hear just how that momentum has built over time. And uh, they've covered a lot of ground in those 20 plus years. And it's cool to hear how they think about leveraging their strengths and looking at here's a capability we have where we're really strong. Where else can this capability add value? Right. And I, th- I think that's something that they've done exceptionally well in building this business in a very disciplined and methodical way. Um, maybe a little bit different mentality from from some of the venture back companies of the last decade, perhaps just because they obviously weren't a bootstrap business, but they have a very different origination story than a lot of startups you know, that we would look at from the last decade. So it's it's interesting to see that their growth story is also unique. Absolutely. 
Well, I, I really appreciate every time you are a guest co-host on the show and, of course, the guests you bring with us. And actually, we already have the next one planned uh, and in the can. So for all those that are tuning in, just because they know it's one of your episodes, can you go ahead and tease our next one so that they subscribe and hopefully come back? Yeah, absolutely. So this was a fun conversation. Anybody that reads Prime Future knows that I have a soft spot in my heart for this whole direct-to-consumer space and, and how consumers buy meat and how that scales. But this was a conversation I had with the CEO of Walden Local Meat out of New England. And there's a lot of, a lot of unique uh, elements of their business model. So I hope that listeners will enjoy that episode as well. All right. Well, you heard it right there, everybody. Make sure you are subscribed to this show so you don't miss that episode, which is coming up, uh, I think, maybe in about a month or so. So stay tuned for that. We're going to include links in the show notes for Dairy.com, for Everag, for Prime Future. Of course, for our quarterly sponsor, Merck Animal Health Ventures. Really appreciate all these people that are collaborating on the future of agriculture. It's just exciting and invigorating to talk to people like this. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thanks so much for your time and your attention. I don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Innovation.